Welcome back to the Beer O'Clock Podcast. I'm Dylan Toon. I'm Angus Norris. And we are back again. Still locked up. Uh, locked up even harder than last time. Yeah, well, we're getting close to maximum locked up, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, and it, they couldn't lock us up much more than this, I wouldn't have thought. No. Um, sympathy to all our low Victorians. We understand what you're uh, going through. Yep, and businesses and so on as well. I understand it's a very difficult time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're all, we're all in it together, I guess, is the one positive. Exactly. Support your local craft beer, guys. They need everything. And your local... Yep. Just all your local stores that are still able to open. Yeah. And uh, just keep in mind the ones that aren't open for when they can open, I guess. Exactly. I uh, just want to quickly thank and welcome listeners, new listeners. Um, we had a great response to the interview with Dan Taranto from The Eldest Promise. Thank you again to Dan for that. Yeah, um, I was really surprised by the response, but that's positive. Great to... Hopefully, we've got a few of you on board from now going forward. And, um, yeah, clearly going to keep building on that as much as we can because we do... Did enjoy that, I think. Um, Not just because we got to go have a beer with someone we like and respect quite a bit. And just have a beer that wasn't in my (laughs) living room. (laughs) Yes, yeah, that does help. Um. I think, is that the everything you wanted to run through before we get stuck into the news? I think that's all we've got, got to, to start with. Cool. Well, let's get stuck into the news then. Uh, first up on the docket is ABAC Strikes Again. Um, this is two complaints being upheld, one against Dainton Brewery, one against Colonial. Probably not going to go into the Colonial one outside of saying that uh, it's a two-year-old post and you sort of uh, mentioned that they... I've brought timeliness into it. I think they're looking to bring timeliness into it, which is why this one was still upheld, but maybe in the future it won't be. Um, because the average person doesn't go trawling through two-year-old social media posts. Yeah, it's, it's come and gone. I mean, with the, the life cycle of a social media post, if you're not onto it within the first few days, there's not really any point of being onto it. Exactly. And I, I think they agreed with it because it was just, it was open shut that it was wrong. They were encouraging alcohol and jet skiing, so. Yeah, yeah, it was alcohol, water sports. I mean, I guess they were saying drink mid-strengths and water sports, but still alcohol and water sports. Yeah, probably not the best call. Uh, <laughs> so I guess the one we want to talk about is the Dainton one, which um, is the Bounty Hunter, which has a image of Boba Fett on the front, pretty Star Wars heavy imagery, um, has a Who Shot First reference, but was actually pulled up because of the bounty part of the name and the fact that it's a coconut milk chocolate salad. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, it draws an, an interesting precedence, I think. Like, also, firstly, how many kids like bounty? <laughs> yeah, how many adults like bounty? <laughs> well, yeah, clearly enough that they still make them, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, be borderline. Don't, it's an economies of scale thing. Don't add us with your bounty love hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really odd that that's what they picked on. Well, especially after Jedi Juice and all of that. I sort of read this and I'm like, oh, I've got him for Star Wars again. Um, but Dainton argued quite well that it wasn't really a Star Wars thing and then they still got pulled up anyway. Yeah, that Boba Fett is enough of a niche um, character that it wouldn't appear to children purely because it's Star Wars and that the average Star Wars fan is an 18 to 44-year-old male. <laughs> yeah, which is a good... It's a fair point and accurate. There was also a weird bit in that um, complaint about it being a cartoon character, but I can think of plenty of cartoons that aren't suitable for children. 
Yeah, well, he's also it's just it's more of a cartoon imagining of an, a live action character. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a live action character in the movie. He didn't start in a cartoon or anything, and yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um, it's sort of I'm sort of spitballing a bit here, but it almost feels like Avac got called out and sort of pulled up, and then they were like, "Well, you did this, so we're still right," kind of thing. Almost because it sets a pretty dangerous precedent for chocolate beers. Yeah, saying milk chocolate references non-alcoholic things, and it's like, well, a milk stout is a thing, a chocolate stout is a thing, so are you saying that you can't use them together? Is milk chocolate solely the realm of foods? It's, it's very strange. It's 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 all very strange. And Dayton quite rightly pointed out that alcohol and stout are both words just underneath bounty. And yeah, chocolate, so. um, and generally not used outside of alcohol. I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> It's it's an interesting one, but yeah, with the amount of chocolate bar beers, it is, like you said, mildly worrying slash intriguing precedent, um, especially now that Amazon have signed up to ABAC too. Yes, well, just another reason for small brewers to be make sure their labels are compliant, um, because that's we all know Amazon's going to become a reasonably big player in the industry. Yeah, if, they, if they're going to, especially at the moment, if they're doing online stuff, they're going to have good deals, um, going to be able to do big things with the amount of market share they have. Um, and so I imagine, yeah, they'll get people on board. I guess the thing is, like, I do, wouldn't be that sad if chocolate bar beers went, like, because it's kind of not the most interesting naming sort of thing, but it makes me think of things like uh, Golden Stout Time and things. Yeah. Uh, are they, you know, is this, is this the same thing? I would have thought Golden Stout Time is more appealing to children. Yeah, yeah, um, because it's got more of it in there. Uh, yeah, well, and it's a better product, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, it's quite famous too. Um, yeah. Quite a well-known beer. And Abac, please don't listen to this and pull them up because I feel very bad for Big Shit. <laughs> and again, it's a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that, that's quite literally a cartoon character. It's just something they drew themselves, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I it's think so. They got made, yeah. Um, Interesting, interesting. Yeah, opens a can of worms that uh, those people who make ABAC complaints, I'm sure, will be looking into. <laughs> well, that's that's the other thing again. It's uh, I wonder if it's the same person. <laughs> it sounds very similar to the Jedi Juice complaint. Very similar. They've probably just gone looking for other Star Wars references. Yeah, it's it's very weird. But you know that this is how the ABAC complaint system works, and it's how ABAC works, and. For better or worse. And it's probably good that Dainton, you know, rarely reproduce these beers. So, like, they can say they're going to comply and just not brew it again. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to, yeah, be... Get rid of what they have left and that's done. Yeah. Um, That would be my thoughts on that one. ABAC reminds me a bit of the ratings board in America for TV and movies and stuff. They, They pick very specific things that bother them. And they're a big deal, but they let a lot of things slide that are probably actually worth more, going after. More problematic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's the nature of these things. Uh, on to other news. Uh, Cooper's Hazy. I don't have much else written here, but you mentioned that it was happening at some point. Yeah, well, it makes a bit of sense to me for Cooper's to move into that because all their beers are hazy. Mm. So why wouldn't they jump into the sort of popular style? Now I think we said that in uh, the uh, Mild Ale segment a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, that vaguely rings a bell, actually. Um, but it's a 6.2% hazy, uh, brewed with Artanum and Strata. Interesting. No pride, I assume. Well, not on the media release. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably smart. 
I wonder if they'll have a best after for it, like all their other beers. That'd be interesting. Because it's on the uh, it's on the session L and XBA still, so. Yeah, well, that's something to keep an eye out for. Um, yeah. That is launching on the 17th. So hopefully that's... just after this comes out. Yeah, um, so I guess next month we'll have a look at it. Yep, that's the plan. Yeah, why not? The IBA have announced cancellation of BrewCon 2020 and staff redundancies, unfortunately. Yeah, it's always sad to hear um, that people who are passionate in the industry are moving on. Um, so COVID has forced them to, they've actually moved BrewCon to August, September next year. It was quite strangely worded that you'd move 2020 to just move it to 2021. Yeah. They're having 2020 in 2021. Um, I think they initially just delayed it and have now decided that they can't run it, um, due to the ongoing COVID situation. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, another domino falls with the old events. Yeah, exactly. And it was as a uh, an organisation that makes a lot of their money from events, um, they've had to make the staff redundancies, which are the event manager, Jason Summers, and the head of marketing, Marianne Seperovich. And that's a, obviously a shame. Um, yeah. More havoc wrought. Exactly. By the uh, old COVID. The, the whole executive team's going to be on reduced hours um, indefinitely at the moment. At the IBA, um, and we hope they get through because they're a pretty important part of the uh, lobbying effort for the industry. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, probably slightly overlooked, and you imagine that uh, something like a brewcom would probably bring in some good revenue for them, so it's a, it's a real shame. Yeah, I think that and the combination of losing Good Beer Week. Yeah, it's yeah, got to hurt. Exactly. Uh, West Australian Brewers Association have put out a campaign called Drink West, Drink Best. Yeah, I think especially with the news that the IBA is struggling, I think it's quite interesting that they're pushing an agenda that's slightly different to the IBAs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like it makes a bit of sense to me with WA being so isolated that potentially the IBA doesn't uh, necessarily um, reflect what they need. Yeah, fair enough. That the East Coast brewers might all be relatively in a relatively similar position, whereas WA might have completely different needs. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a, a whole lot of parochialism going around with our closed borders and things. Yeah, and so that WA um, Brewers Association initiative involves a 16-pack of WA beers um, being released in Dan's and I think BWS from memory. Um, Just in WA or? Uh, not sure, not sure. I think I would assume so, though. Yeah. Um, and, and there was a lot of chat on that around uh, in the marketing about 10,000 West Australian jobs and all that sort of stuff and to think yeah. where your money's going. Well, that's, I mean, it's it's fair enough. Um, they do, I mean, WA, when you go over there, they are pretty good at stocking local stuff more than anything. Um, I mean, obviously everywhere does it to an extent, but, you know, I think in Victoria we see whole lot of Queensland and uh, not so much New South Wales, but whole lot of Queensland and stuff. Yeah. Um, pretty prominently available. Uh, whereas, yeah, Western Australia is very supportive of the smaller breweries and, yeah. Yeah. And, well, there's a lot of logistics involved in getting beer over there. Getting, and true. so therefore getting beer out of there is almost certainly as hard. Yeah, especially in decent condition. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Australian alcohol excise has been paused for the first time in 37 years. Not surprising, but interesting enough to mention. Yeah, so those who uh, aren't aware of what the 
excise is basically it gets increased every six months um, with, with CPI effectively. Um, every year since, every in time since 1983, it's gone up because the CPI has been over one. And this is the first time since then that Australian CPI has been under one. At there you go. 0.985. So very <laughs> it's close. It's still just, yeah. Um, and but obviously you know, COVID, COVID related. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's pretty serious when they're not increasing alcohol revenue. Yeah, well, it's about seventy million dollars, approximately, mm. of what of the hit they're taking. It's a fair whack. Yeah, yeah, but to a government that's budget runs into the multi multi billions. Yeah, it's, not so much. Yeah, yeah, but still, uh, good news, I guess, for people. You don't have to worry about your VB six pack going up another fifty cents this year. No, no. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone does pass on an increase that they'd budgeted for just yeah. assuming excise would go up we'll, we'll keep our eyes out and uh, we'll report back if we do see anyone being sneaky yeah and likewise if any of you see your favourite beer go up let us know yeah seemingly uh, for no reason because yeah there shouldn't be a reason outside of manufacturers costs going up yeah which um, can be non-excise related yes yes but um, with low CPI and yeah <laughs> Um, you wouldn't have thought so, but yeah. Yeah, reserve bank rates and all that stuff? I wouldn't think so. You never know. Um, BD, B, finally, on the regular news docket, uh, BWS have launched Local Lover, a horribly spelled campaign, um, which is getting people to embrace more local beer. Yeah, and this is on the back of uh, Endeavour Drinks, which is Dan's and the, the parent group, um, doing that fast-tracking all those small supplies in at the start of the year. Yep. Which I think we talked about then. Yeah, and then Coles sort of copied that, but nothing really came of that. They, they no. spoke about it, but I, we didn't really see anything. Um, but so BWS have doubled down on this. Um, there's 600 billboards nationwide, 92 of those electric billboards as well. Oh, yeah. Um, full digital and social and radio ads going on. And, yeah, just supporting local businesses, putting those... Um, those billboards in areas near those businesses, yeah, good on them. Yeah, exactly. The more so, um, the more we get to see craft beer in the mains mainstream stores, the better chance the industry will grow. And it's obviously not a completely selfless thing, but they don't have to do this kind of stuff either. So no, no. I well, think it's, it's a, worthy it, of praise. It was driven by the consumers responding to the dance one earlier in the year, apparently. Yeah. Yes, there's definitely you know reasons for it, but I think it is still it's good they're doing it. Well, they've invested. Everyone wins. Everyone they've wins. invested millions of bucks in the advertising campaign, so good yeah. on them. Uh, they will hopefully see good sales of the stuff they stock, and local breweries will hopefully see a bit of relief. So, yeah, win-win. Exactly. Uh, onto the tasting paddle, just with some quick ones. Um, Deeds Which may or have, may not be quick for some of them. Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, I mean, it's like a real tasting paddle. I mean, if you fill it up with imperial stout, sometimes it's going to take a bit longer to get down <laughs> than uh, if you just grab all the lagers and kettle cells. The the old um, Angus uh, tasting paddle, just grab all of the the sub five percent one, and then just grab pints of everything that's above that. Yeah, yeah. The the really smart way to drink beer. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the way you want to do it. Uh so Deeds Brewing are killing the Quiet Deeds name after eight years. Um they are releasing a beer to celebrate it. Um I don't know what it's called, it's a triple IPA. 
Yeah, they that's, just what I saw. that's what I saw as well. <laughs> um, but it is, it, I think it just got released. Uh, oh, okay. Is it Circling Sharks or is that a different one? That is a triple IPA. Yeah. <laughs> Look, either way, they they this they've released a done a press release saying um, we've built the brewery off the Quiet Deeds name. Um, we're going to keep doing the same thing, but we're just retiring that series and that name. And it is fair enough because a lot of people know them as Quiet Deeds Brewing or like Quiet Deeds when they are Deeds Brewing. I mean, the, the brewery name and the the series name are pretty interchangeable for a lot of people. Yeah, it's been quite myself. interesting for a while. I I was interested in that release that it said. Uh, that called Quiet Deeds a series because I'd always thought of them as Quiet Deeds. Yeah, probably and until it, after they bought the brewery. To be to be fair, when we started seeing some of those other releases, it makes me wonder if they've always had Deeds Brewing on the marketing, or if we just hadn't seen the marketing enough. Because I mean, it's pretty obviously Deeds Brewing on there. But um, yeah, I'm. I mean, they've, they've had Dark Deeds and stuff. I did notice that, but yeah. It seems like most of their beers were under the Quiet Deeds banner, like their core IPA and Lemington Ale and stuff were all Quiet Deeds releases. Yeah, which is interesting, but it'll... Um, I think slowly it's been becoming Deeds more and more. Yeah, and it's obviously it's just a name. It's not a big thing, but it is intriguing from a consumer's point of view. And it's nice that it's now somewhat official. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just going to fade away and people are going to keep calling them Quiet Deeds and stuff. Hopefully they can... Yeah, get a bit of clarity out there that they are called Deeds Brewing. Not that it really matters that much. If you search for either, you're going to get the other ones. Uh, yeah, exactly. The other Deeds news that I thought was quite funny is that they spelled Doppelbock wrong when they released yeah. the, what last week or two weeks ago. Or Yeah, very recently. Yeah. Um, good from them to acknowledge that they made a bit of a, a silly error. Um, said their spell checker obviously didn't have German beers in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was quite a good release, actually. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had it, but um, I do remember you saying that it was quite solid. Yeah. Yeah, really good. It's just, it's actually in my notes for later in the episode. Okay, well, we'll run through it then, then. We won't spoil it. <laughs> uh, the Australian Cider Awards have been postponed slash cancelled slash whatever you want to call it at the moment. Yeah, uh, due to COVID, obviously. Uh, it's held yearly in October in Melbourne, and basically they couldn't get the judges who come from overseas and interstate in. And so they've just cancelled this one and we'll announce details for next year in the middle of next year. Yeah. Well, all the best to them, as with everyone else who is having to cancel events and so on during this time. Um, Professor Michelle Colgrave, who is a researcher, um, was recognised by the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering's Innovation and Excellence Awards for the creation of an ultra-low gluten barley, which is called Kabari, and will be used in the production of gluten-free beers. So it's basically, it can be used for cereals, food products as well, but essentially it means it's just a barley that they, you know, you can brew beer and it will be gluten-free. Um, without having yeah. to use quinoa and sorghum and all that. Yeah. So this is a pretty touchy subject um, and like vaguely related to our work. So we do a bit of this sort of celiac testing and stuff. Yeah. Um, Michelle Colgrave is one of the top people in this field. Um, she's made a different test, basically, because um, of how how Australian food standards work with gluten. What's gluten-free and not is quite a interesting subject. <laughs> um, so basically, at the moment, anything brew, any beer brewed with this grain 
is not gluten-free by Australian standards because it is still a barley derivative. And to be fair, it does. It is labelled as ultra low gluten, not gluten free. Yeah, yeah. It's quite confusing. It's it's just one of these issues people kick off about all the time. Um, but in short, if Michelle Colgrave is saying that this is fine for celiacs to drink, it's fine for celiacs to drink. Yeah. So if you see Gabari, then you'll be fine, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a lo- there's a Bruise News Pro podcast which I haven't listened to, uh, apparently, but she uh, explains this in detail. Yeah, that would no doubt be interesting. And I think this is uh, cool, like more ways for gluten-free brewers to be able to brew without having to look at alternatives, which are perhaps strongly flavoured. Um, we do have a few comments from Ben Spoke Director Richard Watkins, who sort of played around with it a bit, says it's sort of quite nutty, um, sort of good with... sort of. I imagine it's kind of more of a caramel, crystally kind of malt flavour. Okay, yeah. Than just a clean American ale. Just by what he says, it's uh, good for saisons and hop-driven pale ales, so I can imagine that's kind of a one of those sort of copper malts, you know. And it's got a bit of a bit of colour to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, but I think that's it's good for to give them more options. And um, I think it still is difficult to have a... Apart from using rice, um, It is there aren't many pale malts around that are gluten-free, and I don't think this is going to cover that. No, I don't think so, if, if that's the comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's it's one more step and one more way for people to make gluten-free beer. And um, hopefully if it becomes readily available, um, it will be less finicky to use because it's not uh, genetically engineered or anything. It's just a crossbreed. Because so, I have heard some things we obviously know from experience that oats can be tricky to work with. Yes. <laughs> things like sorghum and quinoa, like quinoa would have different time uh, for the, in the boil to release the sugars, just knowing how it acts. Um, and then you've got weird tannic things that come with that. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think anything that is more barley-centric is good for gluten-free beer in the long run. Yeah, exactly. So this is your monthly brew roundup is incoming. Oh, um, <laughs> they've lost a little bit less money. Yeah, look, it's probably good news. They only lost 137000 in the last quarter. It's hilarious that it's literally just because they haven't been making as much. Oh, yeah. and then It's almost were... like if they stopped making entirely, they'd stop losing money. Well, it's funny you say that, isn't it? <laughs> they basically were giving away beer for free. Like, they they were selling, I think it was $30 slabs. Yeah, $35 cases of Australia draft. Oh, um, Jesus. With, with subby holders. Well, the excise on that is, you know, a significant proportion of that. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't make much on a $35 case at retail. No. No, I think the excise has got to be $17 or something. Yeah. Off the top of my head. And then you've got shipping and stuff, although if they're just putting it in Mildura, it's still, yeah, they wouldn't be making much money. No, no. Um, in the reports, $109,000 in government handouts, COVID-related stuff, obviously. Nothing um, below the board or anything. Yep. Um in June, they somehow managed to flog another $200,000 of shares. Yep. <laughs> Look, if people want to buy them. Um, but it's probably not good news for their existing investors as they further devalued the business by offering those 13 million shares at 0.015. Yeah. <laughs> not much. One and a half cents a share. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh... And they're also in trouble with the ASX again. They are required to work out future funding levels to continue operating. Yeah, yeah. So I think they have about half a quarter's capital on them and they realistically need, I think it's two two quarters worth? Yeah, you'd think. 
that that sounds there, right. There's a guideline, and I think yeah. it's I think it's two. They would be constantly skirting that, I imagine. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, they the ASX doesn't do enough to uh, make them comply. So it's, basically, just keep saying that they're going to do it, and it seems yeah. to be good enough. They are actively managing a very difficult economic environment and are seeking out new opportunities with potential strategic partners. Well, um, yeah. Good to see. I'm looking forward yeah. to when that China money is due. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, luckily, our relations with China have never been better. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, behemoth and Chur... Be- well, same thing, right? Behemoth, Chur... Yeah, is so Behemoth confused. is the name they trade under everywhere except Australia. That's right, And I yeah. think it's... I can't remember if it's Kaiju, Where Strides the Behemoth, or yeah, Behemoth, yeah. the energy drink. I, I reckon it, we've spoken about this on the podcast a while ago. Yeah, it all vaguely, it's all vaguely there. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're opening a brew pub, surely, or they have opened a brew they pub. They have just opened yep. it, so it's the biggest um, crowdfunded brewing project in New Zealand history at $2.06 cool. 635 well. investors. <laughs> That's a pretty decent chunk each. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good amount of money. That's uh, what thirty five grand, forty yeah. grand. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, it's even more than I thought. Uh, yeah, in Auckland too. Real estate's not cheap there, so. Yep, um, it's in the Auckland Beer Mile. Um, if we ever get our bubble with New Zealand happening, that yeah. might be a good spot for people to visit. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's called Churley, which is the name of the mascot. You know the yep. grey thing. <laughs> yep. Um, and they've got a two and a half thousand liter system in there. Nice. Yeah, so it's a good size. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great news for New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, and probably for Australia as well, because I know their beers are really popular. Yeah, their they, beers are excellent. Oh, yeah, cons- so consistently excellent. More of them can get over here in any capacity than That's a good, good. thing. Yep. Hop Nation have bought the Mornington Production Brewery from Tribe. And this is pretty interesting. Is this uh, signalling Mornington's falling sales or Hop Nation doing more? Are they moving Mornington production? It's quite interesting. I think the majority of Mornington's, like, pale production and stuff went to the new Tribe facility in Goulburn. Yeah. Middle of New South Wales sense. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and base. I think when they bought it, they said they were going to get rid of the Latham Street site. So okay. that's so that's not the brewery that people visit, which I think is on Watt Road or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it is Watt Road. I'm pretty sure. uh, yeah, something. excellent. Um, so it's a it's the production facility, and Hop Nation have basically bought that uh, to brew their core range stuff. Cool, good on them. Um, does call into question Mornington's quote unquote independence even more? The the whole tribe thing is interesting. Like, are these breweries still independent? I mean, I guess strictly speaking, they're not. But tribe sort of seems less, I don't know, less omnipotent and overbearing than something like an Asahi or. I, I assume it would be cheaper for Mornington to produce it at Tribe's main facility than their sort of ancillary site down the road. Yeah, I guess it's just moving it out of Victoria uh, yeah. is interesting. Um, yeah, in terms exactly. of independence and so on. Um, uh, I don't know if they have the seal. I don't know if Tribe counts for this independent seal, but yeah. Uh, I think it does. I think it's something about, or is that the American one about the maximum litres of brewing? Like That sounds American, yeah. but it could well be. could well be. Um, I, I know I, the American one definitely increases theirs every time like Sierra Nevada goes up, hits a new ca- mark, <laughs> and they just increase the number just above that. <laughs> yeah, I imagine we do similar with Coopers if that's the case. Yeah. Um, Are Coopers, do Coopers count for the independent seal? 
They should do, but I don't think they would take it. Yeah, I don't I think, think they, they have. Care, to be honest, yeah. Um, I don't see why they wouldn't. No. They're, they're still independent. I mean, they're huge, but yeah. It's interesting. I, going back to the hazy discussion, I wonder if this is a move back towards craft. Like, they're in this weird little middle spot between the big, pl- the really big guys and all the craft producers. Well, they had a period there where they were pushing the session and the XPA, and you thought, okay, they're really leaning into it, but that just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. yeah. Um, went into their can stuff. Like, they, they mostly just moved into canning all their normal stuff, and, like, um, you know, I'm seeing less session and XPA around than ever, to be honest. I mean, isn't the season for it, but uh, you know what it is the season for? The season for them to put the stout in cans. Oh, God. They'd make I just keep saying it every podcast. They'd make and... such a killing if they put yeah. the stout in cans. Keep mentioning it, and they'll do it eventually. Exactly. The one question I have, though, is what it does means for uh, Hop Nation's second site that they were planning in Footscray. I would assume yeah. they still go ahead with it because it was like the majority of it. The idea was a bigger hospitality venue. Well, they want to turn the original one into basically sites place yeah. that their, their side fermentation thing with uh, mixed ferment sours and Wines. wine. Yeah, yeah. So I think they can still do that, and then that. I guess the second Putscray site becomes a bigger hospitality venue slash brew pub sort of thing, and then they just pump out the core range. Yeah, that would be At my thought. But yeah. just COVID, capital, optimization, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Intriguing. Be good to see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, it's got a quick seltzer minute, and um, hopefully won't yeah. have this going forever. It's, it seems like everyone under the sun is putting one out. Uh Four Pines are releasing one under the Brookvale Union banner. Unsurprising. Yep, makes sense. Uh, they always were going to release one. Everyone's going to release one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, St Andrews Beats have trademarked something called the Summer of Seltzer, which is Terrifying. Worrying. Yeah. <laughs> um, St Andrews Beats, though, are the brewery in Victoria most sort of tied into that sort of young vibe, fe- young female crowd. <laughs> yeah. Look, they are. You can imagine they would make a killing on it and probably do it pretty well on that facility. You know, their site is great, their venue. Uh, their their venue is the place where you can see someone knocking back 12 seltzers in an afternoon, having yep. a wonderful time. Yeah. Um, and Moondog are releasing one called Fizzer. Yep, that's what the trademark application says. So if they're bothered to trademark that, I assume it will be huge. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's really about it with Seltzer, I think. There's not much to say until they're out, and even when they're out, there's not much to say anyway. Oh, I had a Ray. That was all right. <laughs> yeah, Ray's, Ray's pretty good. Ray, as far as they go. Ray has like this nice kind of La Croix kind of, you know, fruit essence flavor. Yeah, it's. Uh, I had the peach one, and like that's nice. Bit of stone fruit. Very smashable, very refreshing. Yeah, it's the sort of thing you would drink far too many of and get in trouble, but... I would try not to make it a habit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, not surprising from Hump Nation, I guess. No. They do no. quality stuff. Exactly. Uh, just finally, before we check out of the news, uh, the Beer Cartel survey is out until August the 30th. Yep. We are on there. So if you want to give us a little tick in the podcast category, it would be much appreciated. Exactly. It always gives really interesting um, insights. So we're not just plugging it for us. It's for the whole industry as a whole. And we assume you are listening to... You do listen to us if you're listening to that. So uh, if you've got you're not half an hour in here... <laughs> yeah. Then um, surely, yeah, 
it counts as listing. But no, it is interesting and it's also nice to be on there. So thanks, beer cartels slash everyone involved in that. Exactly. I think Richard Kelsey's the guy there behind it. He's one of the founders. Thanks, Rich. We'll, uh, we'll slip your bribe in next time we see you. <laughs> um, we will be back in a moment with what we're drinking. We are back with what we're drinking, or what we have been drinking, and we have been drinking Mr. Banks Party Tide. Yeah, it wasn't that good. It ties into our New England pale, hazy pale, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, you sort of said it was something very up my alley, and I'm glad that I sorted out because, yeah, it is extremely up my alley. Um, heaps of pineapple, sort yeah. of almost this like acidic hop character, which is interesting up front. Uh, very like bright and sort of much like the fruit. Well, that had Kahatu in it from memory, didn't it? Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, very uh, closer to acidic pineapple for me. Yeah, yeah, so I got that. Because um, pineapple is actually quite acidic. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't eaten pineapple in a while. I ate quite a bit the other day, and I'm like, geez, this is, this is tart. Pineapple's one of those fruits that people on certain medications can't have because it really, like, it can destroy your stomach lining because it's so acidic. <laughs> why it's so delicious yeah exactly we also just in case people were going to write in about it we do have the mr banks vienna lager we will report back on that um it would be very unlike us to miss it and don't worry we haven't <laughs> that'll be next a report yeah, next, next pod yeah. yes sorry yes <laughs> uh, not not next minute next podcast um <laughs> briefly wanted to touch on nomad salute because this is fucking weird um i haven't had this or heard of this so i'm interested yeah, okay, so beer, but not as you know it. Refreshing and good for you. Um, that is what they say it is. I thought it was like a hard seltzer. So basically, these are very bright, colourful cans. Uh, I don't know if you've got it in front of you. We'll, we can pop a picture or a link in something. Um, otherwise, just search Nomad Salute. You'll be able to see the cans. We'll get so that th- in the show notes somewhere. Yeah, so three flavours, berry, berry blush, pine lime squeeze, and tropical crush. Um, they all sound very RTD slash seltzery. Oh, and they look very seltzery as well, don't they? Yeah, but I don't think they are. I, so I've only had Tropical Crush, but this is... It's a beer, I think. Low gluten, um, low carb, low calorie. It tasted very much like a sort of... Like one of those uh, Rattlers, like those pre-bottled... Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't so sweet, but it was, it was weirdly like soapy and kind of fake fruit and... I kind of appreciated what it was going for. I like the sort of low alcohol, low calorie, low gluten. Like it's, you know, it's fine, but it's just, I don't know what they're trying to do. I would be really interested in hearing what the recipe is. Um, if there's a reason why they haven't just gone full seltzer with it. Um, They've called it lifestyle beer range. Yeah. That's, low it's, calorie, low ABV, super refreshing and gluten reduced brackets, gluten free EU, which sort of ties back into what we were saying earlier. Yeah, the confusion. <laughs> there's a lot of ands in that copy. Yeah. <laughs> And please buy it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it was weird. Like, much like you, I'd never heard of it, never had it. And so I grabbed one because I'm like, oh, Nomad doing something weird, sure. Um, and I was, it didn't like it, I should yeah. say that. But interesting. I, I don't know, like, it's, I guess I put it in here because it's more of a beer than a seltzer. And that's kind of interesting because it would be very easy to just brew it with rice and just make it a hard seltzer at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh it's it's so interesting with the tax issues here around seltzer and you know it makes some sense to just call it a beer. Yeah, well, so it's a problem, I guess. And it does seem to be going for something slightly different. Yep. 
very ever so slightly. Ever so slightly, but it's in the same ballpark. Yeah, very much so. Um, On a similar theme, I've got Future Mountains Radio Kaliningrad. Um, I'm not sure. Last year it was definitely billed as like a Czech dark lager, and this year they've decided to call it a Czech slash Baltic porter. <laughs> is this is this uh, much like us stuffing up our black IPA, and now it's a now it's a stout? It's an yeah, stout or possibly, possibly. <laughs> but um, I drank this. I don't know. Last week or uh, last night, um, and it's definitely still a Tamavi. There's just a little bit of smoke. So who knows? Okay, cool. Do who love knows? a Tamavi, so. Yeah, keep keep brewing it. Just call it a Czech Tamavi again. I wish people would use that term more. It sort of, I mean, it's not going to mean a lot to a lot of people, but keep the term alive, kind of thing. You yeah. see it less and less, and at least at least Czech dark lager. Yeah, yeah, because then at least you can find out Tamavi from there. But I've never heard um, of a Czech porter. <laughs> that's what leads me to believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eight wide, flat white in nitro cans. Uh, we have a mutual friend who says it's the best beer he's ever had, and it's yeah, pretty de- delicious. I, I was surprised at how good it was. I wasn't expecting much when Dave said it was his favourite beer. Yeah, but very... Um, very smooth. Nitro was a great call. Very flat whitey too. Like yes. Nice, sweet coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. Eight wide do really good stuff, um, so that's not super surprising, but... Just a cool beer, good fun. Seek it out if you if you can see it, because it will probably. It took a long time for it to come to Australia. Um, I think you were telling us about that probably two or three years ago. I, I think it would have been at least that long ago. <laughs> yeah, so we've sort of been hanging out for it. Um, anything else you wanted to bring up? I don't have a lot. I've been drinking a fair bit, but mostly just the old favourites. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of little bits and pieces. So the deeds um, doppelbock we mentioned earlier. Yep. Um, which is awesome. Like that's a would stand up alongside good German double box. Um, Modus have also released one, which I thought was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, Same. I think we might have mentioned that last podcast. Yeah, but I had that. I had them both on the same day, which possibly wasn't the best life decision <laughs> on the work night. But you know, these things happen. Yeah. Um, but good examples of the style, both of them. Or? Yeah, the the deeds is better than the Modus, but uh, both pretty solid. Both pretty solid. Like you wouldn't yeah. turn down the the modus one yeah for sure um the other one i wanted to mention was the molly road crowd goes mild oh yeah yeah i had that too yeah very cool good representation of the style there's nowhere near enough of them (laughs) no there's not um more if you want to make interesting uh interesting mid-strength stuff that isn't just you know three and a half cent pale malt dry hopped uh yeah look at dark milds look at I mean, even look at stuff like, you know, lighter tamaves and stuff. Yeah, well, Kersal Dark, for example, is 3.5, I think, or 3.8. Yeah, it's low. Yeah, it's blow four, for yeah. sure. Um, and it's delicious. Exactly. And then finally, I'd like to give out a shout out to Smart Brothers, who are in Somerville on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, yep. I think it was the weekend before lockdown, I had to go down and help my parents down that way. Um, and yeah, picked up a mixed four pack on the way home and was really impressed with everything they did. Awesome. Yeah. Hopefully we can, uh, track down some more of their stuff. I have a chat to them or something in the future. Yeah. There's, they're, I think still only selling out of their brewery, but that'll change in future. You'd think the way the, with the beers they're producing, it should. What sort of stuff was it? Hoppy or bit of a mix. So I think I had a robust Porter, a red, a Belgian blonde, and a New Zealand hot pilsner. Nice. Yeah, good good range. All sounds very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. We'll have to look into them in future, but um, yeah, glad. Always nice to get a surprise. Exactly. Well, I it wasn't a surprise. I did go to them for the year of the local last year and knew that some of their stuff was good. <laughs> but yeah, now they're in cans. Yeah, cool. Doing and good. Yeah, more cans the better. Um, that's. I think that does us. That does too me. much. Yep. Yeah. Um, I've honestly was looking back at a lot of stuff I'd been drinking, and it's mostly stuff for segments on here, uh, segments now and future. Um, we've sort of been doing a fair few orders of stuff and just like working through the ranges of stuff. And I've just been drinking a lot of same a, stuff. Yeah, there's a few things like uh, Bolter's Handsome Elvis and uh, Ferrell's Oaked Biggie that I can't Dirty Biggie. Oh yeah, um, that are like I had them and they're new, but they're not really interesting enough to talk about. To be totally honest, no, I've, I'm still drinking quite a bit of Stomping Ground Resonator, uh, Bodrigi Utropia. Uh, and then sort of trying to work through some cellar stouts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm building them up, but still not getting through them. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, what we're drinking, what we have been drinking, and we will be back in a moment. Next up on the docket, we have got an interview with Claire Burnett, a journalist at Brews News. This sort of continues our series of speaking to people and how they've been affected by COVID and the various side issues that emerge from that. And this time we're sort of looking at beer journalism. We are here for the Beer O'Clock podcast with Claire Burnett of Brews News. Hey guys, thank you very much for having me. Um, would you mind just briefly telling us what Brews News is? I'm pretty sure everyone knows, but just, uh, yeah, just to kick it off, I guess. Yeah, 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 sure. So um, Brews News, founded by a lovely chap called Matt Kierkegaard, oh, about 10 years ago now, um, brewing industry publication, very much focused on the brewer um, and the business side of things, very B2B rather than consumers. Um, but happily, we do get a lot of, you know, beer fans that just want to have a little look behind the scenes um, and we'll write about other breweries, we'll write about um, issues in the brewing industry, le- legislation, all sorts of nice, interesting stuff um, for the industry. So, yeah, that's Brews News. Um, can you tell us a little bit, bit about yourself, Claire? How did you end up working for Brews News? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. And what a bloody dream job. Um, <laughs> I never thought I would end up like this in a job like this, actually. Um, I was a business journalist over in the UK, um, and I had the great pleasure of working up in Yorkshire, which is like my, like effectively my home state. Um, and when I was doing business journalism there, um, I worked with a lot of breweries, um, covered a lot of breweries, partook in a lot of brewery beers. Um, So we've got people like Northern Monk, who are like arguably one of the best breweries outside London, um, up in Leeds. And, you know, I just, I loved it, loved it the whole time, um, learned as much as I could about it. And then moved over to Australia in 2018, I think. I'm, I know it doesn't sound like it, but I am an Aussie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've got the passport. I've got the passport, I swear. I'll show oh, that's what you. counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I've so, got a British um, passport as well. I've got a British passport because oh, I've got family fantastic. from Liverpool and Harrogate. So, Oh, my God, list. Harrogate. Yes. Yeah. That's, where we're, we're, that's where my other house from. That's huh. too weird. That's small too world. weird. <laughs> it, it's far too small. And, I mean, it is England, let's be fair. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so uh, when I came over here, I took six months off, um, did a bit of travelling, did Southeast Asia and some of the East Coast, and then thought, shit, I'm running out of money. Um, <laughs> better get a job. Um, so 
I uh, applied for because I did a bit of marketing and I despised it over in England. I was like the worst marketer in the world. I just can't, I just can't do all that fluffy language stuff just to make stuff sound good. Like <laughs> it just drives me mad. Um, but anyway, so I was like, definitely going to do journalism. Going to have to accept that I'll be skint for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> and applied for, applied for Bruise News, spotted it on Seek. Matt emailed me. That was on the Friday. Matt emailed me on the Saturday, had an interview on the Monday, got the job on the Tuesday. And that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and now you've managed to weasel your way onto their podcast. Oh my God. How have I managed that? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, I, and I thought I didn't know I was going to be on it as much as I bloody well am. Um, but they clearly <laughs> need a voice of reason. Um, and a foreigner on board as well. A little bit of a diversity of accent as well. And age, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say that, but... <laughs> it, it is a bit of a problem for us. It's uh, two very similar sounding 30-something Australian men. So, um, yeah, I think we're looking for a bit of diversity <laughs> too, to be honest. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because now that the industry's got so much bigger, there's so many more ty- different types of people just the diversity in the industry is, isn't great, but it's getting there. And why not represent people as much as we can um, on platforms that we have? Um, go for it. Why not? Definitely. Yeah. Especially in exactly. Melbourne. It's, uh, yeah, no, we're not super representative and we try to be aware of that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Claire, what's your favorite beer style now that you've been, you know, Ooh. maybe your favorite brewery? Oh, I couldn't, I can't, I couldn't tell you my favorite brewery, except maybe if we're going to, if we're going to be, I guess I'm going to have to say my local as in Brendale, because that's the only place I can go that's like close to my house. Um, because everywhere else is like an hour away. Uh, so that, I mean, in terms of locale, definitely Brendale. Um, but there's just so many bloody good brewers out there. Like I could never decide. And we, we very, very lucky and that we get a lot of their beers sent to us and we get to try them all out and um so I've had a plethora um and thankfully my memory shit so uh I can't <laughs> remember them all but <laughs> so that wins on that one um but in terms of beer styles like I was saying earlier um I've definitely got the taste of like a really old German man like I like the Germanic styles I like the cultures I like the hells um obviously being from the UK I love a good lager um I'm basically a grumpy old lady when it comes to stuff like that um I love a good I'll have a good sour though I do like a sour um and especially uh, in the Queensland uh Queensland oh my god yeah and I'm not okay with everyone going for stouts and stuff obviously they're so seasonal stouts and dark beers and porters and all that kind of stuff um because I can't be doing with them now I'm like I moved to Australia for like the sunshine and the pale ales not for dark like beers that you'd have in winter um but everyone seems to love doing them still um which is fine i'll give them a go i'll give anything a go it's a little more appropriate down in melbourne where it's about seven degrees at the moment or something this is it yeah so you guys are super chilly so when you're you're much more comparable in terms of weather to the uk where it felt okay to drink a stout whereas over up in queensland i'm just like no absolutely not could be something nice and cold and crisp absolutely Anecdotally, not full of stout drinkers, Queensland, from my experience. Um, no. <laughs> I'll give you that one, yeah. I'd like to do a survey one day, but I'm pretty sure we're not fans up here. Yeah. 
Um, so Claire, we got you on to talk a bit about COVID and its impact on the industry because we're looking at sort of how it's affecting different parts of the industry. What sort of effect has it had on your job? Have you found people are, there's more stories, less stories? Are people more sort of open and available to talk to you? Um, now this, I had to think quite hard about this one, especially because now that we're all in different stages, it's not like at the beginning of lockdown when everyone mm. was sort of in the same boat. Now it's very much like you've got to be sensitive to what state they're in, um, in more ways than one, uh, you know, what it's going to be like the potential for COVID to come back, like the whole new South Wales thing. So Queensland is obviously close to border, um, and that's been really hard on people. But actually, I th- what I've found is that what I was really surprised about is how fast everyone just jumped on board, just adapted, just rolled with it. And I think that was the only way you can do this. Um, if you just, uh, there was like a week, a really weird week of like a lull in terms of stories, like news stories coming through. I think everyone was a little bit shell-shocked for that first week or two. Yeah. And then after that, everyone was like right let's get shit done let's how are we gonna how are we gonna sort our lives out how are we gonna adapt to this nightmare situation and I think it was a case of that everyone was in the same boat so you know there's no I there's no sort of um criticism of anybody else everyone just did what they could to to get through and um it was a really hard one because Matt and I discussed sort of like our approach very early on um how are we going to do this how are we going to do this in a sensitive way we've got a lot of stuff on the back burner that is like much more invested investigative stuff um lots of stuff that you know matt always says you know news is the stuff that people don't want you to know about and he's so right um but at the time and during covid it's just not the time to to be calling people out um so we had to be really sensitive and it's part of like our journalistic responsibility to be like that and not to to put to bring people up to raise raise people up rather than um talk about bad stuff uh and now we're coming out of it we're we're tempering that but at the same time breweries have been amazing they've done so much um moondogs pub in the box which i love like yeah all the the gift boxes all the cool things that people are doing all the i know everyone bangs on about it now but like hand sanitizers and all that kind of stuff like i've never seen an industry adapt that fast to a situation like this so it's been amazing it's been really impressive and hopefully we've been able to service the industry and help them out with you know um discussing the issues around covid providing resources where we can um and just generally being there to support as well as um inform yeah your um antidote segment at the start was um really helped me sort of get my head around what was going on (laughs) that's it and it was fun that guys did a fantastic job of that and god Mm. bless them pete and matt are just amazing to work with on a normal basis and I learned so much from them um but what they did for the industry there was like above and beyond and I think lots of people just even wanted to talk just to get it off their chest and be like this is the shit time we've been having and like is anybody else having this shit of a time as well and the answer was almost unanimously yes so you felt much more supported because of the guys doing the antidote which was just lovely um did you have one that you liked particularly um the, I forgot his name off the top of my head, but it's, I think it's the grain store in Newcastle. Mm. Is that yeah. what it's called? I think so. Yeah. If that's what yeah. you're talking about. I'll have to give it a Google. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there we go. Um, I thought um, he was really, yeah. really open and honest about sort of how hard it was 
was for him. And I'm sure that helped other people going through similar stuff in the industry. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's what they wanted to do it for. Um, but bless them, they burnt themselves out doing that as well. Like I kept saying, Matt, just rein it in, do less, do, don't do everyone every day or one every like three or four Couple days. days. Yeah. yeah, just give it a rest. And he was like, no, 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 I've got this story. I need to tell people about it. And he was absolutely tireless during that period. Um, and we were both super grumpy, but we made it through. We're still <laughs> friends. It, so that's got it done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so in your position you would obviously have quite a wide oversight of the whole industry um have you seen anyone who's doing something really different really well and it's working for them or equally someone who did something different and it didn't quite work out how do you mean like in terms of covid or just in general yeah in terms of covid in terms of a pivot mm-hmm. um that's quite a tricky one because everyone did something so different and it was all very much, uh, sorry, my dad's just come in and he's, <laughs> he's waving his big box of beer around at me. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally distracting me. Uh, yeah. So um, basically uh, I think everyone adapted to it in their own style. And I think that's mm. what I loved about everyone is that, um, you know, they did it the way they they needed to do it um, and the way that worked for their business model. Like there's no one size fits all um, with COVID and you know, it's how do you get through, how do you get through and do it in a way that's true to you and your brand and your staff and, and what you want to do with them. Um, Sorry, that was a bit of a (laughs) non-answer. No, no, that's, that's fine. Um, You're obviously in Brisbane. And so you guys are allowed back out to bars. Is that right? Yeah, so we're pretty much obviously social distancing and all that mm-hmm. um, and, and lots of venues have had to adapt and, oh God, I hate to say the word, but pivot um, <laughs> to that kind of thing. Oh my God, it just made you want to die listening to the word pivot that many times or unprecedented situation. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are kind of back to normal. So I was out at Felons on like Saturday night and obviously been to, you know, my, my, my Brandale and um, a few other bars. We've popped into Brewski and things like that. Um, but there's still a little air of caution. I think we've seen what happened in New South Wales, what happened mm. in Melbourne. And we were like, let's not do that. Let's, let's try and be a bit more sensible. Not everyone, obviously, there's always going to be outliers, but mostly I think, and again, like you can't, I mean, I went out and I felt really guilty because I was like, well, my mates in New South Wales and Victoria can't go out. So it just feels a bit shit, you know? (laughs) I'm sure at the end of it for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make up for lost time at the end of it. I'm sure. Um, so people aren't rushing back is your sort of take on it. They're not all Um, desperate to get back out. And (laughs) I think, I think because like, so when we were out, like the, like cocktail-y type bars, they were quite round and I was quite surprised at that and there were still queues and everything, but people do recommend booking. And I think that's been really helpful to the industry just knowing when people are going to come in and you can get a better ballpark figure of nightly revenues and things like that, which is handy. Mm. Um, but I don't think it, I mean, like, I don't know if you've been out in Brisbane, they're not wild people. <laughs> no. You know, Fortitude Valley gets a bit mad, but like I'm from Leeds up north. Right. So if you go out at like three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, everyone's like knocked off. They're in Weatherspoons 
and the rager has started basically and brisbane's just not like that brisbane's like more chill yeah Yeah. they like they like the daytime drinking and they like the festivals and stuff like that so that's been hard on lots of people obviously having to cancel events um but in general they're, they're quite chiller people anyway um and again don't want to have a repeat of the um what's going on in Melbourne um, mm. or New South Wales. Um, it's a bit of a cautionary tale, I think, to everyone, um, definitely. What sort of long-term impacts do you think COVID will have on the industry? Do you think there'll be sort of change in venues or the number of venues over, you know, the next year, 18 months, five years, Ooh. whatever timeline suits you? <laughs> Oh my God. Just, you know, that's such a hard question as well. And I, mm. I always ask everyone I speak to, like I spoke to some hotel broker. So his job is to sell hotels and pubs and stuff. And he was just like, I just don't think we're going to go back to big box pubs anymore. I think they're the end of it, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I was like, do you know, I'm just not sure. Like my crystal ball is entirely foggy and I, I and I hate to say stuff like that as well because then mm. someone will call me call me out on it like two years down the line and be like Claire didn't you say this was the case um <laughs> but no uh, I I think we will go back I think people are social creatures we don't like to be stuck inside we like to be out we like to be with our mates we like to be having a good time and I think we will go back to this this is not the end for the hospitality industry this is just a shit blip <laughs> on, the, on the thing yeah. definitely we'll all go back to venues definitely um although i mean it's part of ongoing trends like the younger generations what do they call them gen z apparently they're not going to the pub as much anymore anyway so it's more like a continuation of that kind of trend rather than a total upheaval in the hospitality venue industry um people will go back um they'll still they'll be cautious definitely for the first couple of years social distancing measures are still going to be in place we're still going to have you know plastic screens and dots on the floor telling you where you can stand and things like mm. that i think that that stuff we should be getting used to and that's just going to stay um but i don't think this is the end of it i think we're going to we're going to come back roaring for sure yeah <laughs> bring it <laughs> round to the craft beer industry specifically are you surprised by the lack of breweries that have closed due to covid like there's always this talk yeah there's this talk that the industry is always on a knife edge no one makes any money Mm -hmm. it's all you know very hand to mouth why have we had like a handful close yeah Yeah. that's it and maybe see and the thing with um i want to i want to say malt shovel i always forget which one is Malt Shed, that's the one. Malt Shovel's the lion one, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, Malt, malt Shed, um, they weren't, for example, that was really early on. They were mm. already selling. Like, they were yeah. already on their way out. So, like, I wouldn't really count them. Massive White venue almost, too. Yeah, yeah, crazy. I wonder what they're going to do with it. I'm going to have to follow up on that. Um, but, yeah, someone like White Brick, for example, up in North Lakes, I know you guys talked about it on your last podcast and you just mentioned it briefly um and you guys said you hadn't heard of it and do you know what I hadn't either I think mm. that was very much a smaller brewery and I don't know necessarily know that it was doing so well beforehand um and a much much smaller business like that is on the knife edge a little bit I think <laughs> I know the IBA in particular said very early on that you know we're going to lose out on something mental like 
two thirds of breweries if we don't get support during this period and all this kind of stuff. And we're talking about um, excise freezes and all that excise holidays and all that kind of mm. stuff. Um, and a lot of the time it is a little bit scaremongering because the government doesn't want to be seen to have the blame laid at their feet for businesses going under. And that's totally understandable. That's just standard lobbying tactics. Um, you know, say it's a little bit worse than it is. Um, and then you're going to, you're going to get the attention of the people that can make the changes and, and can influence what happens to your businesses. But I think it is a very real danger if we continue to do so, if we continue to lock down like Melbourne's lockdown, we possibly might get more in future. But mm. what it says to me is that this is a very healthy industry. Beer doesn't go out of style. It just doesn't. And as long as we can adapt and be quick at it, we will survive, basically. Mm. Have you been um, impressed by the amount of breweries that have sort of how quickly they've gone to moving online and to cans and stuff? Because it's really like struck me as impressive how many breweries have, um, I'm trying not to say pivot, have moved to <laughs> canning and just moving online. Like a lot of breweries have accelerated from being in you know, a brew pub only to uh, putting product out in stores. And it's just been really, I don't know, I've been really impressed to see how they've done that. And I'm sort of wondering if you've noticed that too. Oh my God, absolutely. And like you expect it from like the big guys, don't you? the young yeah. Henrys of this world or whatever. Um, but what really impressed me was the little regional guys that were like getting all onto their platforms and getting delivery sorted. And I just thought it was amazing that, and a lot of them said to us, they said, actually COVID has given us an opportunity and they've taken that opportunity to diversify the business, to go online. A few people have said to me, oh, we meant to go online like five years ago. And now we've actually got the opportunity and we've got the motivation to do that. Mm. And that's fantastic. That's going to mean that there are a whole lot of businesses out there that are available on more platforms that have got more um, staying power for the future uh, because they're on so many platforms and they've diversified their business. They've diversified how their sales um, mix is. Uh, loads of fantastic stuff like that. And it's been amazing because lots of as you say lots of people especially when, when you're just a brew pub and that's all you want to be you would never think about doing that um and now that you've had the opportunity you've had the little wind down period pe lots of people are doing some really interesting cool things and just getting their house in order and it's it's been really impressive actually definitely and especially with those little local brew pubs their mm. model is around servicing their local community and now if you're in a melbourne style lockdown <laughs> You can only oh service your local God. community. <laughs> you know, yeah, so that, what is it, like 5Ks that you can yeah. go in, like a bubble? Is that it? Oh, yeah. my God, guys. Thank God you know, live near all them breweries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a disaster otherwise. <laughs> although, every, although everyone is managing to deliver beer reasonably well. I was going to say, because that doesn't count for, like, delivering food or groceries or beer or anything like that, does it? So that's just you personally, the 5K. You can radius. give someone a work permit to travel like so the oh, business can issue a okay. work permit for them to travel right basically anywhere as long as they're doing okay. something that's considered an essential service which beer uh, thankfully falls into food absolutely and, yeah. is yeah definitely that's so cool and i tell you what i know everyone likes to hate on the big chains and stuff but bws bws have done some good things um during COVID, the covid period um shortening payment terms uh yeah periods to like 14 days getting lots of locals on don't get me wrong it's totally self-interested they're absolutely doing it <laughs> because it's going to work out for them but at the same 
time, why not take advantage of it? While oh, exactly. Can. And if, if consumers are responding to it, you know, they're, they're doing it because absolutely. consumers are responding. <laughs> exactly. Not out of the I goodness mean, of their own heart. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. Don't be ridiculous. Um, and like that, you know, those come the big campaign billboards and all the ads and stuff they're doing. I mean, they're paying that out of their own pocket. That's millions and millions of dollars that they're paying. Um, and I mean, usually they're way tighter and they, they ask the brewery to help market um so i mean good on them i suppose it's a weird you've got to give them credit where it's due (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean painfully because you know we hate to do that (laughs) in the craft beer bubble we don't like the big guys to get we don't like to give them any credit but yeah fair play to them on that do you think we'll see a condensing of the tap market maybe we'll lose some contract brands that don't have their own venue because that's, I think, you know, if we have a reduction in the number of people mm. attending venues, are we going to lose yeah. some of those taps, that volume? Um, yeah, and I'd say we already have. I just say we don't really know about it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because when you're a contract brewer, out. yeah, exactly. When you're a contract brewer, all you need to say, or a gypsy, uh, no bad brewer, I think we call them now, mm. um, you can just quietly peter out, don't make the next order, just close down your social media and you don't make, you don't need to make a big fuss about it. So I reckon if there haven't been a few already, there definitely will be, but I'm not even sure that they'll get much publicity. I think unless they're a big one, they'll just slowly die out and we just won't see them again. Well, I think that's what a lot of them do anyway. There's you sort of yeah, yeah, that's six, normal. six, seven batches, and then it just doesn't appear again. Exactly. Yeah, say. and there's there's lo- loads of lists out there of breweries, and you look through them, and you're like, you've been defunct for five years. You don't mm. exist anymore. You got amalgamated into another brewery. You, you you just can't rely on them, and that's because they need to be updated really regularly by a crazy amount of like manpower and man hours, <laughs> which is understandable. Yes. Yes, that's what that list is. It's just yeah. man hours. Just man hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Which some of us so, don't have. <laughs> well, that, amen, exactly. That's the thing. And that's the same with contract brewers. Like a lot of them will have normal day jobs. They'll like just be doing it on the side as like a um, maybe going to like farmer's markets or having guest taps at pubs and stuff like that. And they're a nice little brand. But if you have a steady job, in real life and you wanted that to be your dream and eventually you know get a bricks and mortar place in three to five five years whatever um and covid happened you're going to be like absolutely not um this is not the time to you know put myself out there and potentially get totally screwed over in a really competitive market you may as well just stay with your job get the paycheck and then put that dream on the back burner for a bit really yeah exactly is there anything you'd like to plug, Claire? Ooh, oh, I can't do that. That'd be terrible. Oh, we're um, giving you a platform. <laughs> I know. I, do you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, hmm, I don't know. No, I think I'm good. You guys do a great job. Um, and I love all, I, have you guys been following the Aussie beer pods? The rag Yeah, beer? we have been. <laughs> oh my God, we love them. They're so funny. It's amazing um, work. And again, a crazy amount of effort going into that. Oh my God, so much effort. And I look back and I was like, how do they work this out? And I was like, I don't think I need to know this. It's far too involved. Um, but yeah, I think that's fantastic. And do you know what really surprised me? I was like, this is amazing that there's so many podcasts out there um, that are 
creating those platforms for beer that there are some really interested people out there that are really into it. Like I think beer is just another level. I've never seen anything like it in any other industry. Like the loyalty that you see in this industry um, is fantastic. So the only thing I'd plug is just great beer and like fantastic fans. It makes my job possible. So thanks guys. Well, thank you for speaking to us, Claire. <laughs> no worries. Um, oh, and one thing I would say, um, one of your last questions was, as consumers, how should we support the industry? Yes. Um, and obviously, buy local. Get local as often as you can. If you go in the bottle shop, buy the one that's Australian-made. Um, and I don't mean mainstream. Um, and also, just don't be idiots, I'd say. Don't go out unless you have to because um, we saw that in up in Brisbane didn't we like a couple of weeks ago two lasses down in come up from Melbourne and I was like mm. you morons just don't be stupid <laughs> I feel like that's a basic good life advice in general yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you very much thank you <laughs> I don't always live by it but yeah just quickly Claire on the independent um local independent I read mm. recently in one of your articles the IBA has about 300 members out yes. of 800 breweries yes roughly. indeed do you think that's according to their website as well? So that was on their website. That's just a big number that that's updates on their whenever website. they Yeah, that's on their website. So it'll probably be updated now, but do you think it's doing it. its job at sort of forty percent of the industry? Like do you think it does a um, job in advocating for it? If there's oh my such God, a if there's such a percentage that aren't members, like I know Mazen Hajar has quite an opposition mm -hmm. because they don't go far enough. Um, <laughs> I think well, some of the I mean, WA ones don't go in because it's, you no. know, sort of East Coast centric. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the thing, like, um, I don't, you might not have seen it, but uh, I think it was someone from Stone and Wood. We did a, the article on the Western Australia Brewers Association who are not IBA affiliated currently. Mm. Um, we, we spoke about this earlier the, on this episode. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, there you go. So they've obviously started their own campaign. Fair play too. Why not? Um, but somebody commented under it that, you know, they were disappointed that the WA Brewers um, didn't adopt the same messaging as the IBA and, and they didn't have a unified sort of brand and all this um, messaging and all that kind of stuff out there to the industry and to government and to consumers. And I just said, mm, I'm not okay with that really, because being the point in being independent is not being told what to do by other people that's mm. why you set up your own business that's why you want to make your own decisions um this why you don't like if you could um, and i'm sure people definitely would if they saw the money but this is why you don't let yourself get bought out by a mainstream brewer because you lose control whatever they tell you there you have to concede some power over your brand over the direction of your business um, it's not yours anymore. and it's the same <laughs> exactly it's not yours anymore and so while i absolutely value what the iba does and they've done some amazing lobbying um they're really really good especially on like some state specific issues so we for example we've had lots of um issues in queensland with licensing and things like that mm. and the iba have really got on board and, and tried to lobby ministers and parties and all that and they are really really valuable in that perspective um but i also think that the point in being independent is being able to make your own decisions and you shouldn't be dictated to um, unless you're happy to be, or unless you agree with what they're saying, um, just, you know, we're independent for a reason. It's because we want to stay independent. 
Um, and, you know, the, as I say, the IBA, is, the IBA is fantastic. It does some really good work. Um, it's just up to you. It's up to the business itself. It's up to the brewery owner it's up themselves, whether they want to do that, really. Excellent. Excellent. That answers that my do? question. Yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And I mean, that's because when you're a journalist, like you do that yourselves, you're like, what would I want to be told what to do or what to write? If you're a Murdoch journalist, possibly. But, um, <laughs> but if you're in an independent like Bruce News, you know, we do the best we can and, you know, we make our decisions and we take the blame for them, but we also take the credit for them um, when we do well. <laughs> so I'm okay with living like that. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah, thank you very okay. much. And um, no worries. much appreciated. And yeah, it's a good to have a point of view from the media, especially someone we respect as much as Bruce News. So very appreciated. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Wonderful. Lovely. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Claire. No worries, guys. back with the brewery deep dive uh, we are looking today at slow lane brewing we have four of their five beers um crafty pint did a little write-up on them recently and i'm not sure what set us off to have a look at them but i know that we just sort of looked at them and we're like this is very up our alley they're in botany around the corner from one drop who we've spoken a bit about recently yep and it's out near sydney airport somewhere Yep. <laughs> so I think we I, I've been following them for a little while before they opened um, because they'd been talking about producing European yeast driven beers which yeah, is that, a, that catches the eye or our eyes quite easily yeah especially in this day and age where if it's not hazy people tend to ignore it <laughs> mm. um, so it's Alex and Yvonne Jarman who are a married couple um, both of them worked in financial services. Um, initially in Australia and then across the US from New York all the way through to California. Um, it brew, started brewing in a New York apartment, which is ambitious. Yeah, yeah, doing some homebrewing in a New York apartment, which either they had far too much money in an enormous apartment. Or, it says uh, tiny apartment on their page, so... Uh, we'll go with, uh, we'll go with uh, a normal New York apartment, in which case it's a very ambitious project. Yeah. <laughs> um... Alex quit his job uh, when they were in San Fran and started working a couple of breweries over there to get some experience. Um, and then, yeah, came back came back to Sydney and started their dream brewery. So they've got five beers they produce, they have produced to date. We got four of them. The only one we missed out on was Quake, which is their New World Pale Ale. Yeah, which, um, is, and to be on, which is a Kvik, um Yeah, Quake. Quek, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of... So they say pronounced Quake. Uh, I, I think we did get this checked. I think it was Quake, according to the yeah. religion people. But yeah, it's we all know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, and to be honest, it's probably the least interesting of the five. Yeah. So I'm, I don't mind missing out on that. Um, as much as I don't mind a hazy pale. I reckon that might have been produced just to bulk out the first two. Like launching with three is a bit better than two. That's true, especially when you've basically got two Belgian ales. You want to have something a bit more in there. More like approachable. More. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can just run through these. Let's run through them. We've got all... And uh, We've only got four, more. so let's go through them. Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, first so we've got Bodney Weiss in front of us. <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess we'll talk about that then. Um, so Botany Weiss is mixed fermentation Berliner, which is, you know, enticing on its own. Yeah. Um, so not boiled, um, which is always cool. Yeah, proper raw Berliner, which I think is how the traditional German ones are made. Yeah. Um, so brewer's yeast, lacto and bread. Um and, and yeah, that yeah. So that's where the uh, uh, the Brett definitely isn't traditional. <laughs> no, um, and I guess that's where the mixed ferment rather than the traditional yeah. sour ale comes from. Um, so this is also fermented with Quebec um, and Brett. Yep. So that's interesting. Um, obviously, I guess if you've got it handy, if you've got the Quebec quack, I'm just gonna keep Quike. playing Quebec. Yeah, <laughs> anywhere in there. We know what we're talking about. Um, I guess if you've got it handy, you might as well keep using it because it's a quick yeah. fermenter. Um, but yeah, I was super impressed with this, to be honest. Um, I think this might have been the first I had it. This is the Thirsty Miner. Um, but 3.2%, and um, this is the second one we're having now. Um, and I don't know if you're in the same boat, but for me, I think the development in a short period of time, um, a few weeks, has been really impressive. Like It's much more Brett forward now. Um, and it's much sourer, I think. Yeah. I don't remember it being quite this acidic. We both had it at room temperature, but this is cool room temperature in Melbourne at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I reckon this is fantastic. Um, one of the more interesting straight Berliners I've had in quite a while. It's lovely. There's a lot of complexity in what is just a Pilsner and wheat beer. <laughs> yeah. And that is, much like they sort of said, this is, uh, if you're going yeast-centric, this is what you can do with it, uh, yeast and bacteria, it's... In a 3.2% beer, it's really impressive. Um, all their beers, according to the can, are open fermented and naturally carbonated through can conditioning. Yeah. So, Makes sense. Yeah. Fun. Really fun. Uh, really delicious. I would drink plenty of them and I, I'm almost like tempted to get more and just put them away because I want to see what it tastes like in a year. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd be really interesting. Best before of two years as well, which is interesting. Yeah, they have different best befores for all of them, which is fun. Yeah, clearly yeah, they've thought, thought about into it. it. Yeah, and that that is counts for a lot. Two years suggests to me that they think this will develop more as the Brett does whatever it does. Yeah, well, almost certainly based on theirs. Yeah, um, oh, definitely based on this because I reckon I had my first one two, three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, um, I wouldn't have been far off that, and yeah, definitely. Um, we'll talk about refectory next. Yep, just because you know. There. <laughs> um, so this is they, they're basically calling this a single, like yep. Patters beer. Um, this is just Pilsner malt, uh, Hallertau, Middlefra, and Sars uh, Abbey yeast, which is kind of interesting. Um, it was like uh, I, it's very excitable and spicy for a classic blonde, but yeah, pretty solid. Yeah, very straight up and down to style for me. You know, good bit of spice. Um, Easy drinking. It it strikes that perfect balance of being like a beer you could sit and do some work on all afternoon. Yeah, or, or, or you, you could, could have five, six of them quickly. Yeah, hundred percent agree. To be honest, um, that was that's sort of the best quality for me because it's pretty interesting for a blonde. Um, it is like a classic blonde, but it's got a little bit to it. Classic and, bl- um, blondes are, are great. That to me, that's not an insult to the beer at all. It's like no, a, no, no. Um, but yeah, we know what they taste like. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and they've um, knocked this out of the park. Yeah. Um, talk about Thirsty Miner next. So um, This is the they, one for me. I think this was my favourite of the beers. Yeah, I reckon... I think Botany probably for me just, but this is 
really, really good. I would probably drink a lot more of the Thirsty Miner. Um, yeah, at, it's a grisette coming in at 3.8%. Yeah, um, Saison yeast, and it's very much just like a bright, sort of punchy Saison with nice low ABV, and yeah. The hops were really um, quite interesting. A bit of floral, um, quite spicy. Um, I don't qu- quite know how they did it, but that body tastes much bigger than 3.8. Yeah, so flaked wheat, I'm going to guess. Okay. I'm just looking at it. A Pilsner wheat and flaked wheat, and I'm guessing they just used the flaked wheat pretty clever. I mean, we know what flaked and torrified wheat can do for a body, so yeah, um, from experience. Um, they East Kent, Goldings, and Sars, which is a very interesting combo of hops definitely not traditional but you're going to get your grassy spicy and some earthy so i don't know where the floral came from <laughs> i assume the ekg is just like augmenting the sars yeah lifting it up a bit like well adding the body to it like depth a bit of bitterness yeah um yeah saison yeast uh i guess what i wanted to ask you is is this a grisette i think it seems so. like one i think it's so. very hard to remember what's a grisette and what's not i think so <laughs> It's pretty close. Close enough. It's yeah. pretty close. Um, Equally, though, if they called it small saison or something, I don't think you'd have any complaints. It's in that farmhousey family. If you gave this to me with a blind tasting, I'd be like, this is a, a saisonette, this is a light saison or a table beer or something. I don't reckon I'd have picked it as light. I reckon I would have called it... I would have thought it was a 6% saison. Yeah, no, true. Um, it, it's a really nice beer. Um, under 4% is, yeah, um, really impressive clearly know what they're doing and it's got interesting complexity much like the blonde um yeah yeah although this is probably more smashable yes i think so just because it's delicious <laughs> it, it just disappears i had one this afternoon and was like oh <laughs> that went quickly yeah yeah uh, i mean we only had a couple each and yes they went quickly <laughs> yeah i would like to get more um and finally we had foundation which is one of the more interesting ones but um wasn't like my favorite i liked it quite a bit it was like another tick, but like it wasn't as emphatic, but it, it's sort of very intriguing. So this is an aged farmhouse ale, um, wheat. Barrel aged? Pilsner. Yeah, yeah. Um, in red wine barrels, apparently. Yeah, there's no barrel character. Really. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a tannic sort of thing that I kind of Oh, there was a tannic thing was the weird. oak. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got bread in it too, and we have drank it pretty young. We only had one each. Yeah. Um, so... Whether it will develop more or not, um, I thought it was pretty cool. I think you were slightly less hot than I was, but um, Look, I, I, th- I think I expected it. a little bit more from it, given like how good the grisette was, how good the blonde was. I was like, oh, this will be amazing if they're launching with this. It did seem like the flagship kind of thing. It is like their most expensive beer, and sort of their most. You look at like the names, and you got like you know, blonde, uh, Berliner, grisette, and this is barrel aged farmhouse ale, and that kind of evokes certain sort of things from experience with you know belgian and american stuff that has sort of similar wording yeah this is still one of the better australian saisons out there which oh, yeah, for sure. should be yeah. should be pointed out in this conversation i just thought it could have been a little bit more given what else they were doing and again i'd like to give it time and see what happens yeah yeah i'm sure that beer will improve yeah um but again i sort of thought it was almost just like a slightly tannic slightly bigger bodied version of the grisette but i just didn't enjoy it as much yeah i got more um, pepper from it which i think yeah. is the yeast probably <laughs> um definitely like yeah spicy and uh, uh, oats traditional in a farmhouse ale i'm kind of interested about that 
I think it depends on the farmhouse. I guess, I, yeah, it depends I would, where you are. I think Saison DuPont does not use oats, would be the, the answer. <laughs> but perhaps, you know, American farmhouse sales, it would be slightly more normal over there. Yeah. Well, I imagine there's Belgian brewers who do use them. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's what you grow, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'll definitely be having more of Slow Lane stuff. Um, definitely. I was really impressed. I'd love to get to the actual location one day. Um, I think so, especially give him a year or two and get some barrel age, like Flanders Red going or stuff like that. Well, that's the other thing too. These these are clearly new releases, like they're fresh releases, and they've actually done it really intelligently. They've got enough complexity here that you want to try more, but clearly they can't sit there waiting for a year before they put anything out. Yeah, they haven't gone down the black arts route of we're going to sit on stuff for three years before launching. Yeah, this is clearly, we're putting it out now, but this is representative of what we're going to do going forward, yeah. which I think is really interesting. Very hard, I think, to start a yeast-driven brewery. And yeah. this they've done really well with these first couple. Yeah, I'm super impressed, um, personally, and sounds like you are much in the same boat. Yeah, we'll definitely be looking looking for their stuff in the future. So once again, that was Slow Lane Brewing in uh, Botany in New South Wales and big thumbs up from both of us. Uh, we will be back in a moment with the ranking of lagers. Uh, we are back to finish up with the ranking of lagers. Every month we grab three, currently one, lager. Um, largest macro lager from each country is kind of the idea that we're going for, and we will try it and we'll talk about it and we'll slot it into a master list. Uh, last month we had Lvivska from the Ukraine, which I think was pleasantly surprising. Uh, Definitely surprising. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in a good way, in a good way, unlike some of the other ones we've had. Uh, so that slotted in at number seven. Uh, so top five at the moment are Pilsner Urkel from the Czech Republic, Tenants from Scotland, Carlsberg from Denmark, Kilmers from Argentina, and Kingfisher from India at fifth. And the bottom five are Singer from Thailand, Red Stripe from Jamaica, Bintang from Indonesia, Vonu from Fiji, and Kuskenya from Peru. I feel like I've just learned how to pronounce Kuskenya because I have to say it every episode last I think you've finally learned. Carl <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lavaco, not so much, but I don't have to worry about that anymore because no, we it... managed to muscle that out. <laughs> it became just be- just good enough not to be mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I sort of looked at that top, top three, top two, let's say, seems pretty solid. Um Everything else sort of up in the air. Don't really know what we're going to get every time. It's kind of half the fun of it. Yep, that's sort of the beauty of the segment, I think. Yeah, um, and we actually—it's been going for a while now. I mean, we're, this is number twenty-six today. Yep. So we're we're definitely ticking some countries off. And today we have got Vietnam. We have got three, three, three from Ho Chi Minh. Um, I'm kind of surprised this is the biggest one, but then I sort of had to think about it and like. Do I know many Vietnamese macros? I'm like, not really. I know a few, but none seems bigger than others. Well, top. I think the thing is they have a lot um, and they're very regional. And basically being in Ho Chi Minh and having an export brand makes you the biggest. Yeah. Um, they ha- This is brewed by Sebeco Brewery. Um, and it's they have about 40% market share. Okay. Um, which is, is that more than I would have thought. population share roughly? Pardon? Or is it is that roughly population share of the Ho Chi Minh greater area? No, or? no, no. It's, Ho Chi Minh would be far less than that as a percentage because Vietnam's oh. population is so big. <laughs> yeah, true. It is a big country too. Um, like I think interesting. I think their population is something like pushing a hundred million now. It's 95, 96, something like that. 
It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beer. Is there anything interesting about, about the three three three? Lots of lots of information. So Sebeko Brewery is founded in eighteen seventy five in Ho Chi Minh, which is a long time ago for a Southeast Asian country. Yeah, yeah. Um, this beer was originally made in France um, with German ingredients. It was literally uh, going to be my first question was, is there any French influence? Yes, there this? is. Yeah. <laughs> it's really quite interesting. Um, and basically the French moved, uh, production moved to Saigon before the French colonized, which is interesting. That, that is interesting, yeah. Um, the beer was originally called 33 beer, um, as in 33 centiliters, which is how the French express a 330 mil bottle. Um, that and then changed. with this new 333 mil bottle, they decided to... No, no. The <laughs> bottle we've got is actually a 355, which is a yeah. US 12 ounce, which is interesting. It's still still interesting. Yeah, no, it is. That is um, really interesting. Um, they so where did 333 come from? So they changed it in 1975 when the South, South Vietnam fell to the communist north to alleviate the French colonial origins of the name. Cool. So they, they just literally added another three and changed the volume and yeah. No, I don't think they even changed the volume at the time. They just called More it reason. something different. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the easiest way of keeping it recognisable but changing the name is just adding another three. Adding another three. Makes sense. Why not? Yeah. Um, Sebeko was bought, uh, was previously owned by the Vietnam Ministry of Trade and Industry, um, who were pretty keen to hold on to it. They owned both the... Sabeco, which is the one from Saigon, and Harbeco, which is the one from uh, Hanoi. Yeah. Um, the two biggest ones. Uh, they were keen to hang on to both, but eventually sold it to Thai Bev, who own Chang and some, quite a few of those Thai, Thai macros. Yep. Uh, in 2018, for $4.8 billion US dollars. It's a big number. Well, that's, I was thinking, why would they sell them? It's like, well, that's 4.8 billion reasons. Yeah, um, but when you think about it, a forty percent, uh, well, a you know, a forty percent market share of ninety six million people who all mm. drink beer. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fair thing to give up. Yeah, it's a fair price. You would think so. Yeah, and um, I'm sure the Vietnamese weren't selling to the Thais out of the goodness of their own hearts. No, I was going <laughs> to say doesn't doesn't strike me as something that would happen. Yeah. Southeast Asia, usually fairly competitive, uh, especially when it comes to things that are vaguely culinary, yeah. like beer could possibly be. Uh, so, 333, uh, we shall have it, I guess. It's very orange. Yes, it, it looks like it has malt in it, not just mm. rice. Yep, that's a good start. Um, it was a uh, German... German ingredients originally. I assume they aren't now. No, you wouldn't have thought so. Uh, it's uh, doesn't smell like a lot. Um, Little bit of corn, maybe. Mm. Probably a touch. Um, you know how I said I didn't think I'd had any before. Yeah. Um, I had four in Vietnam. Clearly memorable. Yeah. Um, Apparently, I had some. It paired well with chili, ginger, garlic, and lime fish. <laughs> that that checks out very much on sipping it. Yeah, and it would be um, thirty five degrees probably when I had it, and about ninety five percent humidity. So yeah, uh, it's got it's got flavour, but 
It's not very. It's not good. great flavor. There, there's no. flavor there though. It's not a soda water beer, but it's not a good beer. Um, it's almost there's a bit of I don't know if it's diacetyl or something like that. There's a slight sort of oiliness um, from the malt that I'm getting. Um, the bitterness is a little bit harsh, like a bit hop extracty. I'm not getting. I'm getting the oily thing. I don't think it's diacetyl, but... I don't know if it's a floor or just a side. No, it has to be a floor. It's not crisp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I just get sort of like a residual sweetness. Yeah. Left over. I should say the bitterness isn't strong, but what is there doesn't taste clean. No, it's, it's dirty, grassy. Yeah, very pride-ish. Yeah. I wonder what the equivalent is. Um... I reckon we should take this off mic for a minute and work out where yeah, this, where have, this belongs. Little discussion um, without getting too controversial on air. Okay, so after off-air deliberation, we have decided that this is going to slot in at 15th, above Stella Artois and below Cantina from El Salvador. And I think that is mostly on the virtue of it having flavour. Yep, it's not offensive. <laughs> yeah. Um... But it has flavour, um, which I think the the Stella we had had a corn issue, and the Tusca was just a bit cardboardy. So we think yeah. it's sliding in just above those two. Yeah, um, and it's it's certainly not great, but it's not one of the bad ones. It's sort of like one of those middle of the pack kind of uninteresting ones, which are almost the hardest to place. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, was this slightly worse than this slightly bad one, or and do we? Uh, give credit for flavour or do we take it away because yeah (laughs) yes this is flawed but flavoursome I would say for a macro lager Um, yeah like there's malt there there is some form of bitterness there if it's a little dirty and a little yeah yeah Um, and it's not it's not particularly refreshing like the carbs a little on the low side yeah Um, it's not bright or crisp or anything really but it's perfectly drinkable, not offensive. Um, has some, you know, there's some malt flavour there. Yep. There's no date on the bottle. I've just had a good look. Yeah, I guess that we get we get it how we get it anyway. Exactly, and that's the point of the episode that uh, the segment that these get put on the shelf as good to go. Yep. Not treated particularly well. <laughs> oh no! Here we go. Uh, December. Okay, so old-ish, but honestly, for macro lager, not that old. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't really see macro loggers within a, the first few months of their best four dates, especially international ones making the way to Australia. No. Um, but yeah, so in at 15, we uh, have some other more interesting stuff, but um, yeah, it's a, another one that's good to tick off. Yeah, we'll have another, um, at least one more single episode one, because we'll yep. still be in lockdown at the time we need to record next episode. Yep. Uh, but then hopefully we can do a an episode where we can both be in person and get a through classic. get through a few. Yeah, because yeah, we, we do have a few. Well, this is almost becoming the classic. It may now be almost more episodes we've done one of than yeah than um, three. It's certainly easier to find one than three. Yes. Um, so we'll we'll probably have to keep an eye on how we do this segment going forward. But for now, it's all working pretty well, um, and it's always fun to try these. Um, yeah, things that I normally wouldn't grow off the shelf, but probably haven't had before. 
Yeah. Good to tick them off. Or have had years ago while probably not in the best state to try them or in the mindset yeah. to try them. On, on holiday where everything's better than it should be and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that does us for tonight. Um, thank you for tuning in as always. Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually have a lot more to add at the moment. You oh, Actually, you may see new content on the website soon. The website might look a little different. Yeah. We'll see how... Um, how that goes. Yeah, yep. <laughs> we, we are moving to something. It's just how long that takes us. <laughs> but if you do, then don't don't freak out. It's, it, it's all good. It is yep. changing, and it will be quite radically different. <laughs> Always exciting. Who doesn't love change? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can contact us at Angus at BureauClockAustralia or Dylan at BureauClockAustralia dot com. Uh, any feedback, suggestions, comments, questions. Anything really? Yep, we not t- too fussy. We take all all things. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, please jump on and do the beer cartel survey if you haven't yet, and like us on your podcasting app. <laughs> yep. All, all that, and we will be back in a month. Yep. Excellent. Thank Thanks, you. Dylan. Cheers. Thanks. So where you been, man? Are you still going to Seton Hall? No, I, I transferred into Monmouth this year. I was tired of missing him. That's beautiful, man.